being a banker for 21 years almost. That's okay. It's, it's going to fuel you. Um, it's still, I think, fueling me to this day. Somebody does a little bit more, should be waiting a long time. So people are just going to have to roll up their sleeves. Try to make sense of it because there's so much information coming in and you don't know what's, what's relevant and what's not. The corporate world uh, for four years as a CEO. I'm not interested in having this small probability of losing a whole lot of money. You need to be surrounded by other smart people. Got me through the door because it's a pretty small group. And it's fine, Hello, everyone. This is your host, Maura Maya. Welcome to another episode of the Finance Podcast, where I explore the professional journey of individuals who have successfully built careers in the financial industry. This episode is particularly interesting as we will be talking about COVID-19 and its effect on markets and how this will all play out. My guest this week is Rick McCreary. Rick has over 35 years of experience in the resource sector, both as a principal and executive and board roles with various corporates, as well as a financial advisor in investment banking. On the corporate side, Rick started his career with Golf Canada as an exploration geophysicist, later working with the Noranda Falconbridge Group in engineering, technology development, and metals marketing, and most recently as Senior Vice President Corporate Development with Barrick Gold, where he led over $1.5 billion in non-core asset divestitures. Prior to TD, Rick's most recent investment banking role was head of CIBC's Global Mining Investment Banking Group. Rick holds a MBA in finance and strategy from McGill University and a Master's of Science and a Bachelor's of Science Honors in Geological Engineering from Queen's University. So please enjoy my conversation with Rick McCreary. Hi, Rick. It is a pleasure to have you here on the podcast with us today this morning. Hi, Maura. Nice to see you. Fantastic. So I'd like to dive right in. And before we get into understanding your day-to-day role as Deputy Chair Investment Banking for TD Securities, I would like to discuss your story. How does it all start? Well, I'll start with my father. He he uh, he, he grew up on a farm in the Ottawa Valley. He literally hitchhiked to, uh, to Queen's University and did uh, medicine and ended up becoming a prof there. So I, I grew up in Kingston, uh, right across the road from Queen's. Um, so I was pretty sure that I'd, I'd have to go to Queen's. So I did an undergrad and a graduate degree. Uh, sorry, I first did an undergrad in geological engineering. I thought I'd work in the oil patch for the rest of my life. Uh, but in the late 80s, oil prices tanked. And basically, every, everyone in our class who went out there uh, had to find something else to do. So I went back to grad school because... Um, because my dad had been a prof, I sort of toyed with the idea of becoming a professor. So I did a master's in engineering. Um, I quickly determined I didn't want to become a professor. And uh, I got a job uh, in Montreal uh, with, with a company called Naranda, which is now part of Extra, uh, uh, Glencore. And I worked at the Naranda Technology Center, which was a technology center uh, providing technical service and industrial R&D for all of the Naranda Group companies, which was a big conglomerate which I really enjoyed, but I kind of wondered where this was all going. I also met my, a woman who's, who's now my wife of 30 years and, and she has a career as well. And, and there was frankly no way that I was gonna go around to uh, live in small mining towns for the rest of my life. So I did my MBA part-time at McGill. Uh, and that's why you and I are talking today. And you know that's when the light went off. I, I said, well, I can take this technical background 
I can take this finance stuff and I can put the, the two of them together uh, and, and live in an urban environment, enjoy my passion of mining, but, but in, uh, wouldn't have to live in a small mining town. Um, so, so I've completed the MBA, transferred to Toronto, applied for a corporate development job uh, with the company I couldn't, uh, that I was working for. I didn't get the corporate development job. And my wife said, well, there's an ad in the paper for an associate in investment banking. I said, well, I don't really know what investment banking is, but I seem to have the qualifications for it. So I applied and got the job. And so I started, as I say, as a 34-year-old associate. And then uh, transitioned to mining for three years. I did uh, work uh, as an industry group. I worked in, in a product group, M&A, for three years. Then I went off to um, CIBC for eight years, eventually becoming the head of the group there. Um, I then... Uh, Fortunately or unfortunately, as part of that, sold my former employer, Naranda, to Extrata. The CEO of that company, um, Aaron Regent, became the uh, CEO of Barrick uh, and approached me if I wanted to do corporate development for Barrick. So I went there and I worked at Barrick for four years in corporate development. That was a fascinating experience. And then uh, about six years ago, I went back to investment banking with TD. Um, so, so that's sort of the, the quick thing, you know, the, the, the proof of all of that, there was no planning. None of that was planned. This is really key. And I do want to rip up the script here a little bit. So pardon that you spoke about breaking into IB, not immediately after completing your undergrad, but much later in life is the idea of having to break into investment banking right after undergraduate or graduate school a very common misconception about building a successful career in investment banking? I'm, I'm the living proof that, that you can get into investment banking <laughs> midway to your career. And, and it didn't slow me down. Everything seemed to work out for me. Um, you know, uh, you have to think about it this way. Our clients in investment banking are diverse. They come from all walks of life. So wouldn't it be good that investment bankers all come from all sorts of different walks of life? <laughs> I, you know, we have to be like our clients so we can have empathy with our clients and be able to do work with them. And, and I found, you, you know, investment bankers are, are, they're an odd lot. They come from all sorts of, of different places. And, and, you know, wanting to be an investment banker since you're high school, some people do that and, and that, that, that's perfectly fine. Other people like me find it later. And, and no, you don't have to go into investment banking right after undergrad. You don't have to know what you do. You know, I said, I always say it took me 30 years to figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up. And it literally was 30 years when I, I realized, you know, later when I went back to TD, how much I, I loved investment banking. So yeah, like uh, personally, I think, you know, it's good to have people come from all different backgrounds. Fantastic. So I do want to switch gears here a little bit and continue our conversation on how you broke into investment banking with uh, an ad from a paper. What are some of the challenges you've encountered and how have you overcome them throughout the entirety of your career? I call them challenges and probably opportunities. One of my, um, I guess, strengths, if, if you will, and it's probably a weakness too, is I, I like to get into a new role where I'm a little bit nervous and I don't really know what's going on and get challenged. and. And that then drives me. Um, 
but then what I find after three or four years, I start to get bored and then I want to switch. <laughs> so, so I think, you know, the challenges are the opportunities, right? Uh, that, that's the way you have to look at things. And, you know, I'd recommend everybody, you know, try something new, always try something new because it keeps your, 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 your brain uh, motivated. So yeah, those were the challenges, uh, which, which is trying something new, but then surviving and, and, and being successful, which is fun, right? It's also really enjoyable. Well, it's as they say, right? If it doesn't scare you, then you're not pushing hard enough. Exactly, Laura. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fantastic. So I do want to say on this line of questioning and ask you, what are some of the most important decisions you've made throughout your career? whether it be on a more personal level or regarding decisions in your role during your career, during the entirety of your career? I think the most important decisions that, that I've made is, is, is um, you know, when, I, when I'm not happy in a situation, you know, plot out a path to change it. Um, you know, doing the MBA was, was really a good thing to do. Uh, I'd never had an interest in business before but it, it it really was uh, a good thing for me to do and uh, you know going into investment banking obviously was great you know to be honest some of the best things was getting married and having children through this whole uh process and it was to be fair it was my wife who said to me you got to get something a little more flexible than this geological engineering stuff and so <laughs> so you chose to go to investment banking <laughs> yes <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So a little differently, what are some of the most common misconceptions about investment banking and your job? How do you explain these misconceptions, pardon, to individuals? Okay, I'll, I'll tell a story for my first interview in investment banking. And this was, as I'd said, the 34-year-old interviewing to come in as an associate. And the head of the mining group at TD at the time said to me, why are you here? And I said, well, I've got, you know, 10 or, or, 10 or 12 years of, of technical experience in, in mining. And I did my MBA and I really liked finance. I've been in a commercial role in marketing for the last two years. And I found it quite uh, interesting at the start, but, you know, I'm finding it quite a bit mundane. So I want to be able to take my technical experience and all this super finance stuff that I've done to work in the world of high finance. And the guy smiled and he said, well, part of the reason that you're here is because of your marketing background. And I said, how's that? And he said, well, I'm the head of the mining group at TD. And basically I offer products to clients and I compete. And he pointed at the window and he pointed at all the other banks he competes with. And he said, we all offer the same products. And he said, basically I'm a, a salesman. And I was a little surprised by his statement, I have to tell you. And in my head, I was like, this guy doesn't really understand finance. But <laughs> with the benefit of, of then I, you know, I worked six years there and then eight years at CIBC and four years at, at, at Barrick and then now six years at, at TD again, he was 100% right. So, you know, for investment banking, finance is is the the language that we use and 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 what the milieu that we work in but it really is a sales job and a relationship job 
So that's one of the things I found. So switching gears here a little bit, I do want to discuss to talk about the market and the investment banking industry just very broadly. How has the mining sector been affected by the ongoing pandemic? First thing that we noticed in the mining sector, um, you know, Mother Nature puts ore bodies where she decides to put them. They're all over the world. They're in very diverse uh, countries, very remote locations. And by definition of them being remote, um, people going to work at a mine site, oftentimes they're flying in and flying out or driving up to the place and back. So you can imagine if COVID uh, got into a mine site, it would cause a lot of problems. And, and it's a contained small community, if you will. It's like having a factory in the middle of nowhere. And, and so the first thing that, that we noticed in the mining sector was uh, mine sites that started to get shut down because of COVID outbreaks. And then you had regional governments putting in limitations. So, so what we saw from a supply side in the mining sector was supply started to get shut down because the mine sites were being shut due to COVID outbreaks. So that had a huge impact on the supply. And as you know, life is supply demand and the supply goes down, the, uh, the prices moved up. So it moved the commodity prices up, notwithstanding we were in a pandemic. That was the first thing that we saw, um, you know, that, that affected, you know, when I think of within an investment bank, there's a bunch of different industry groups. This was sort of a unique thing to the mining sector. Um, and then the next thing that we noticed was, you know, big um, supporting our clients in terms of liquidity, because nobody knew, knew where the things were going to go. Uh, people extending their lines of credit, increasing their credit facilities, and, and uh, we stood behind our clients to, to stand there for that. Um, those were the, the two things that we really noticed. And then, you know, sort of uh, how we work day to day was different. You know, client coverage sometimes is going out for lunch and having dinner. That's a little more awkward in, in Zoom. Other clients who are in remote locations, like in the United States or Australia or the UK or Africa, it's actually been a lot easier to interact with them um, uh, using all of these remote um, methodologies. So that's kind of how I've, I've seen things uh, affect our sector. Perhaps taking a different perspective and looking forward, what is the sentiment in terms of banking regarding the activity that is coming up in the following year for the mining sector? What is something that you're paying attention to that you think can have material impact on the industry? Well, the, the, the decarbonization of the world economy is huge, as you know. And there's a misconception that the mining business is 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 a resource business. It is a resource business, but but um, mining again because some of the the operations are in remote locations. For decades, the mining sector has looked for ways to have better use of energy because they're remote. So they use solar and they use wind, and they don't want to be transporting diesel back and forth to, to mine sites. So, so, so in terms of the operations, the mining sector has been a leader in that. And I think it's, it's also been teaching other sectors on, on how to use energy more efficiently. Um, 
and as well, the, the mining sector produces all those metals that we need for to decarbonize uh, the, the, the economy, copper, nickel, lithium, cobalt. And so all of those uh, commodities have, have uh, uh, had massive uh, in increases in prices. And it's very, very challenging to find these ore bodies, again, to the supply demand dynamics. So for the next, for my lifetime, there's going to be a huge push on trying to find uh, new deposits for an increasingly decarbonized economy. Fantastic insight. Thank you for sharing that. And so I'd like to move my line of questioning to a different section geared more towards understanding your career and perhaps getting some guidance uh, on how to achieve a certain degree of success. So with that said, to what skill and or value do do you attribute, pardon, most of your success? Well, I think in the early days in investment banking, the, 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 the things that differentiated me were my maturity. I, I, could, I could interact with clients because I was a little more, quote, mature than, than some of the other people. Uh, my technical background and my industry experience definitely differentiated me from, from other uh, bankers. You know, the other thing that I, 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 I love doing you know, most of the clients, mining clients, the CEO could be a geologist, an engineer, an accountant, or a finance person. The geologists or engineers who, who don't have a, a background in finance, they get a little scared by talking about finance. And, and one of the things that I do and, and, and continue to do is just demystify the world of finance. It's not that complex. And sort of to, to explain it in very simple terms. So, that, so that's been, been helpful. Um, you know, I said to you earlier, my father was a, a professor in psychiatry. Um, and, you know, I've got two degrees in engineering and an MBA. The, the thing that served me the best is, is what I inherited from my father, which is what he would call bedside manner, which is being able to ask questions, listen, and have empathy. And those things you think in finance, that, that's not what finance is about. It definitely, you know, being able to interact and, and draw a client out, th those things have served me well. I wouldn't have predicted that 30 years ago at all, for sure. So the technical background served me well in the early days, maturity and experience, and then having empathy and, and being able to listen that have served me the best. So a little differently, what is the best advice you can give to individuals trying to break into investment banking, trying to get their foot through the door? Well, you know, I would say just, you know, be yourself. Um, you know, I, I know the interviews in investment banking, they can be very technical. And, and, and personally, I'm not a big fan of asking all the technical questions. I, I, I have the view that if you're at the interview, you've, you've passed all the technical stuff, let the university test you on the technical stuff and let us, you know, test you on, on your ability for long-term, you know, be yourself, uh, be, be balanced, you know, have a lot of different interests in life because your clients are going to have a lot of interests in, in life. And, you know, also don't think that, you know, the path that you're going on is, is a path that's set in stone. It's going to change. And, um, you know, being an engineer, I always, I always sort of think of it like this. When, when you graduate, you've got a brand new belt and a hammer and a, 
and a wrench and they're they're really shiny and you're ready to go well then now what's going to happen is that hammer is going to get beaten up and the wrench is going to get beaten up and you're going to pick up more tools along the way just think of of your career as sort of a don't focus on the destination focus on the journey enjoy the journey and and you know be yourself you know don't don't try to be too contrived to get into banking you know people will rise up and and employers know that so a little differently what is the best advice you can give to individuals in terms of managing their personal lives while working in investment banking very good question so um my wife is a professional obviously i'm a professional we have two kids who are uh in in university uh i would say in the days when i was a mid-level banker and we were raising a family both working um you know you have to have balance in your life you have to you have to just because you do because life you, you, you know there's a life outside of work um your clients have a life outside of work um so balance is very very important um make sure you get uh, physical activity make sure you maintain your mental health um uh, and try not to focus make your life all about work try to be balanced so just out of curiosity, I do want to rip up the script here a little bit and talk about this idea about balance and work. During the pandemic, when there's really nothing else to do, how has that dynamic change it, changed, pardon? Do you find yourself spending a lot more time working simply because clients are working and there really isn't much else to do? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, like basically spend... Um the whole day on Zoom calls or telephone calls. But, you know, the point in my career, it's about interacting with clients. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've developed most of my clients already. Um, so, so for me, it's not as challenging during the pandemic. I would say where it is challenging is for a mid-level banker who's trying to develop their clients. It's hard to have a social interaction as great as a Zoom call is you know most most good client relationships gets developed over coffee playing golf lunch you know going to a hockey game you know things social things and um you know and i'd say also the thing that's hard during the pandemic is is what i call mentorship when you sit in a room with a bunch of people you you hear conversations somebody can come over and help you with something mentorship is hard to do during the pandemic there. I 100% uh, agree with you on that being an intern myself. So moving forward, what is one piece of knowledge you now know that had you known in your 20s or 30s would have been beneficial to your career trajectory? I'll, I'll tell another quick story that, that's, that's, that's useful. So, you know, I told you I grew up in Kingston. I went to Queens. Um, my high school was right across the road from, from Queens. And uh, uh, so in my fourth year, I had, I got accepted to go into grad school. I had three or four job offers out in Calgary. I went to see my best friend's dad, who was the vice principal uh, at Queens to get career advice. Uh, and his name's D Duncan Sinclair. He's a wonderful man. And I said, I went into him. I said, Duncan, I've got this, you know, acceptance in grad school. I've got these job offers in Calgary. 
I don't know what to do. What should I do? And he, more, he, he grinned and he said to me, Rick, I have a PhD in veterinary medicine and I'm the vice principal of the university. He said, your life is going to take lots of different twists and turns. He said, you're at a fork in the road, make a very well-informed decision because in three years, there's going to be another fork in the road and you're going to have to make a different decision. And I remember at the time thinking, boy, he doesn't understand this. This is a very important point of my life. And he was 100% <laughs> right. Because a year later, I was back at grad school. I then switched to the mining business. Then, as you know, I went from mining to a commercial role and then into investment banking. And he was 100% right. So, so what would my, my lesson be? Listen to advice <laughs> when you're young. <laughs> and, and also don't sweat the decision. Make a good decision. And then down the road, you know, there'll be another one. I really love that. So as we wrap things up and we get to our closing remarks, is there anything else you'd like to suggest or mention? Any final advice for our audience? Well, I'd say, you know, listen, um, I got, as, as you found out through this discussion, I got into investment banking by chance uh, and luck. Um, I'm incredibly lucky to have it. It's, it's the best job on the planet. I, I just thoroughly, thoroughly love it. Um, uh, and I said, you know, as I said earlier, enjoy it. Um, and don't focus so much on the destination, focus on the journey, enjoy the job, enjoy the people you work with, enjoy the clients, enjoy your work colleagues, um, to try to try to make the best of it. Fantastic. It has truly been a pleasure to have you on the podcast and have this wonderful conversation with you. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Maura. So that was my conversation with Rick McCreary. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. As you know, this podcast is powered by the McGill Investment Club. As always, stay safe and stay tuned. There's always more coming up. <laughs>